It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to episode 129 of the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Dryav, and the Derek Lewis faceplant to my UFC canvas, my partner in crime, Nick Braccia. How are you, homie? It's Friday, man. I'm, uh, I'm okay. I'm a little beat up. I took it on the chin last week with our picks. But whatever. We'll deal with it. You know, yeah, good it stuff. Nice job on your front. And I'm interested in the main event. I'm interested in, in this. I think this is an interesting main event. But what I have to say about last week was um, the top three fights were fun. Yeah, they, they really were. I, I think overall it was a decent event. Obviously, a lot of name value on that one. Main evented by Adesanya, co-main by you know guys like Derek Lewis. Like these are names, which is really I think one of the major differences between these lower level cards. The card that we're about to break down this week isn't exactly spectacular by any means. It lost a bunch of pretty solid fights throughout you know, over the last few weeks. So it's a shame in that way, but it does I think promise some some exciting matchups some things that'll be fun to watch really for the hardcore this is not one for the uh for the layman fan that tunes in only when mcgregor and like adesanya are on tap so so it yeah it's rough rough couple of weeks for lightweight though right like adesanya uh los Rafael lasagna's fiziev was meant to be at 155 correct that's right yes and then and then also losing benil dariush um versus, versus Islam, yeah that was um, it's rough. I mean, you know, Bobby Green stepping into one, but it's still they were really looking to create some new contenders at 155, one way or the other. Um, I mean, real like you know, real next next up for the shot after, um, after Justin gets his after, rematch after Justin right, not rematch, but rather his shot. Um, it's uh, it's tricky because now they have Mahashev facing off with Bobby Green, who's like a good top ten kind of gatekeeper, I guess. He's entertaining. He's got a brand. He's been, he's, He's been uh-huh. on a run, but he's it's a horrible style matchup, though. It really, I mean, it seems like just about everybody against Mahachev is a horrible style matchup, except for a guy like Dariush, who, you know, has, he's so dangerous both on the ground and on the feet. He's so technical on the ground that you would think if there's anybody outside of the champion and, and maybe number one contender in the 155-pound division that could take it to Mahachev, you would think it might be Dariush if no one else. So it's a shame that that's yeah, not going to work I out. Mean, Dustin, the diamond, the diamond would be an interesting fight against him. I, I think, I think anyone in the top three can get really interesting against Mahajab. Yeah, but there is some intrigue. I think of the Bobby Green matchup. It's going to be at a catch weight of 160. It's going to be a main event, so a five-round fight. Um, look, we we haven't seen Bobby Green get smoked on the ground, but Mahajab doesn't well, need you to be weak on listen, the ground to run listen, through there. I'll put it this way, and this is exactly how it's going to play out. Bobby Green recently flattened Ally Aquinta. He gets to play Ally Aquinta here because this he's basically showing up to do exactly what Ally Aquinta did against Khabib uh, Nurmagomedov. And I think he's got about the same chances. Yeah, Ally Aquinta probably could be Khabib's most kind of competitive matchup over the last several years, partially at least due to the short notice. Maybe the style matchup had something to do with it. But yeah, it's a, it's a weird dynamic. So let's quickly discuss Adesanya versus... Robert Whitaker, what were your thoughts on this matchup, man? I know there were some questions as to uh, whether it was a clear-cut decision or not. I don't think a whole lot of people are clamoring uh, it to be a a robbery by any means, but what did you think of the overall fight? I thought that it was was a good competitive fight after the first round. Adesanya obviously ran away with the first round. After that, 
it became a bit more of you know of a chess match. It was kind of like watching one of those had a bit more striking than the average Darren Till fight, but there was a lot of a lot of fainting, a lot of um, you know like kind of trying to trying to score points. Like just they were, like I think Whitaker was definitely looking to win rounds, and he did a he did an okay job. Um, with that strategy, Adesanya was didn't was working hard, but didn't really want to take too many risks. It was a close, it was a very it was a very close fight. It's it it was no by no means as exciting as the Whitaker Romero fights or the Adesanya Gastelum fight, where um, you you really had both of those guys um, go going to war with with very offensive, uh, you know, offensive throw caution to the wind fighters. And uh, it was, you know, it was good. It was, it was high, it was high level. But, you know, if you ask me what the most fun I had was, it was the two fights underneath that, which were uh, Tetsuya Vasa um, becoming a star um, in a really fun uh, Rock'em Sock'em Robots fight with Derek Lewis um, and Jared Cannonier uh, surviving a terrible first round against uh, a Derek Brunson who'd never looked better than he did in that in that first round. <laughs> Um, did a little yeah. bit of everything, but something happened in between and, and, and Cannoneer was there to capitalize. So really, but really entered, both of those were extremely entertaining fights. Yeah. When it comes to the main event, Adesanya versus Whitaker. Uh, yeah. Like first round was Adesanya's. He was more aggressive than he is in the first round. He usually loses first rounds to lower level opposition than Robert Whitaker. And in this one, he was really kind of going for it. I think he was trying to. I don't know if he he realized probably that Whitaker was going to be a lot more careful, and so he's trying to kind of score, score those early points. Maybe catch him cold if Robert Whitaker is having doubts, uh, and if he's not, maybe put some doubt into him. And that knockdown in the first round, I still have some questions as to whether it was a knockdown. It certainly looked like it, but on the replay, it looked like Robert Whitaker was kind of on one foot uh, with the way that Israel Adesanya stepped in to that southpaw stance. Adesanya throws the left hand. It looks like it lands right on Whitaker's chest. Could have clipped his chin, of course. It's hard to tell. But uh, I'm not absolutely convinced that it was a knockdown. Either way, Adesanya clearly took that first round. I thought the second round easily could have gone either way. Watching it live, I scored it for Whitaker. Third round was Adesanya's, in my opinion. Fourth and fifth were very close. I thought fifth went to Whitaker uh, a, a little more clearly than I thought the second round did. The fourth round could have gone either way. So to say that it is a robbery in either direction, I think is unfair. I do think Adesanya probably had the overall better moments. He marked up uh, Whitaker's face a little bit more, whereas we've seen Adesanya marked up even from that first Whitaker fight. So it's not like it's impossible to mark him up, right? Uh, Whitaker's face was marked up a little more. Whitaker took some leg kicks, but that jab left hook for Whitaker was really the majority of what he threw throughout this matchup. It was consistent double jab, consistent jab left hooks, and it worked. That jab popped Israel Asanya's head back multiple times throughout this matchup. It, it did, but it was hard to tell because his head was moving back quickly even when he, like, even in defense. So it was it was often hard to tell what Whitaker shots were grazing, what was landing, and what was snapping his head I agree back. with you, especially especially in real time. And I, I rewatched at least the first half of the fight where I was able to pause some moments, and I didn't get the chance to finish that. But it did show me that there were a lot of exchanges where Israel would go in with something, Whitaker would take his head off the center line counter, let's say with that jab, hit him with the jab, missed the left hook, Israel threw something in, re in return, landed on the shoulder, right? But the judges couldn't, most people I think, couldn't really see what landed cleanly and what didn't. Even if Whitaker did have a slight edge in what landed in that, in that dynamic, it looked like an exchange where Israel threw first and threw last. 
And that's probably a big part of what gave him the credit throughout this matchup. But you do have to say, for example, in that second round um, where it seemed like strikes landed were extremely close. I think it's 16 to 12 on the official stats. But if you actually like look at the stats, I do think these things are off often enough, especially when it's just a few strikes of difference. They landed almost exactly the same number of strikes actually landed in that round. But Whitaker got a takedown and landed four ground to pound strikes, just four, to be fair. Um, so, you know, you would think that if a matchup is extremely close, but one guy gets a takedown, you would think that that would give him the credit. But that wasn't to be, and that's fine. Like, I'm comfortable with Adesanya winning this matchup. I, I think it would have been more interesting had it been, even if it's a controversial decision toward Whitaker, that would lead to a third matchup between them down the line, whether it be immediate or otherwise. But look, it's it's a shame with Whitaker. I like the mindset, though, after what he said, basically, that the rematch, the third fight between us is inevitable because I'm going to stomp everybody that I see in the near future. I think there's there's a good chance that's the case uh, for Whitaker. And his con- yeah, and his, confiden- and his confidence is way up. Uh, exactly. Yeah, he, he walks away from it with a positive outlook, which is a little bit troublesome because, like, you want him to be mad at himself for not winning so that he can make more corrections. But at the same time, it's good to have that positive outlook. I would match him up with Vittori next. I think those are the two clear-cut number two and threes, and I'm curious if Robert Whitaker can style on uh, him the way that he's styled on guys like Gastelum and uh, and Cannoneer. I think I actually, I mean, you know, I'm a big Vittori fan. I think Whitaker is one of the worst matchups for Vittori um, in the division. I think you're probably right. The speed advantage, the timing uh, on Whitaker, the, just the extreme experience, the fact that Vittori doesn't have a whole lot of power to really trouble Whitaker in that way. Vittori's probably not the better wrestler in that matchup. I think yeah. they're it's, give or take even yeah. in size. I think, he's, I think he's probably a little bit stronger, but you're dealing with a combination of uh, of bronze and brains, of brawn yeah. and brains with Whitaker. Exactly. Uh, Versus Vittori, just brawn for Vittori. Yeah. Yeah, he's not the... He's he's not the worst fighter in the world, but he's not he's just not as um he's just not he's not as he's not as experienced and right. uh, and uh, he's probably he's probably not he's not as experienced he's not as technical and he's not as he's just not as natural a kickboxer. Yeah, um, I would I would definitely agree with you there. He's got tenacity. He's got a lot of those intangibles. He's got a strong fair. mind that's relentlessly uh, confident, right? But you're right. It's a lot of the technical uh, things. It's it's the speed discrepancy. I, I totally agree with you. I'd still like to see the matchup. I think for Whitaker. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, I he's think it's really he's cleaned up. Right. He, he's cleaned up so much of that division that you kind of wonder what else does he have left to do in that division. But it's tricky because what are the odds that he can make 170 again? I don't think that's realistic. I don't think that would be good for him. He talked uh, in one interview um, in one podcast that he was on with Mark Hunt. Actually, he talked about how at 170. When he was getting hit, he would see those white flashes a lot more frequently. Moved up to 185, wasn't seeing those flashes anymore, right? Like, it makes a difference, man. You deplete that liquid in your head, and it's going to affect the way that you're going to be able to perform in this matchup. And just quickly, as to the, like, the excitement level of this matchup, I spoke previously about how what makes fighting mixed martial arts, martial arts, or really most sports exciting, is usually mistakes. Often defensive mistakes, often offensive mistakes that uh, leave defensive openings, right? And neither of these guys were really willing to make those kinds of mistakes. Whitaker refused to throw the right hand. Adesanya refused to th- throw the right hand. Both guys were concerned about being out of position and, excuse me, and getting countered by the right hand of their opponent. So both guys were extremely careful about throwing that right hand. They were both risk averse and it made for a not so exciting fight, but it was a tactical matchup, as you alluded to. <coughs> excuse me. And yeah, as to the co main event, um, tied to Ivasa, man, he showed up. I, I talked last week about how this is basically a 50-50 fight. And at those odds, Tuivasa was worth the rider. And man, he came through. Like Derek Lewis, I, I think his, uh, he's not able to take the same level of heavy shots he used to. He's also fighting more talented guys 
uh, in those two recent losses, right? It's not like Derek Lewis is much worse. He's better, I would say, than he used to be back in the day. But he's fighting fast, explosive heavyweights like Cyril Ghosn, like Taito Ivasa, guys that have a technique edge on him. Most people have technique edge on him, right? Except little, for those really but shitty no one, no, no one has walked – no one who's fought Derek Lewis in his entire UFC career has walked through the shots that <laughs> Taito Ivasa walked through. Yeah, Taito Ivasa's durability really no, showed up in this one. Absolutely. When he when he hit the, when he hit him with those shots and he didn't go home, Lu, I mean, I, Lewis was hurt, but Lewis quit. Like, uh, you know what? The, there's some this, there's some talk online about this being a, a dive. I don't think it was a dive. Like, oh, like for the sake of a dive. I don't, I, but I, I kind I of agree with hurt. you. I think, he, I think he was hurt. I think he was hurt really bad. But I also think he was done. He was done taking punishment when he realized yeah. I'm, this guy's not tired. This guy's not going away, and this guy's mm-hmm. fucking. This guy's fucking me up. Like right, it's not a right. He it, wasn't taking Derek Lewis down and holding him there, and then Derek Lewis getting back dive, up. He was doing damage. Right. You're right. But either it, may, it could have been that he quit before he got hit in the face with the el- with the elbow, right? Um, or whatever. But like something, Taito Ivasa broke Derek Lewis. End of story. Yeah, it did seem that way. And 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 again, I don't know what actually happened. I wasn't him. I'm not Derek Lewis. Taito Ivasa talked about how he didn't feel like that elbow landed as flush, although it looked like it on some replays. Looked like it, it looked landed like a flush. Well, it looked like it looked like a forearm. I also think that the headbutt hurt a lot. Nobody talked about I could that. See that. Yeah, you're right. Nobody you're right. talked about that head. headbutt. It was before, for, yeah. it was a, it was a forehead. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was an Australian dude's forehead on Derek yeah. Lewis's chin and like yeah, a quick right. forehead to the chin. I absolutely, I believe that that was an extremely, and it's not to take nothing away from Tuivasa. I think that was an extremely significant, uh, head, like headbutt. I agree. One thing that I talked about last week that, uh, that I am pretty, pretty proud of my breakdown from last week for the Adesanya Whitaker matchup. I talked about how it's the guy that's going to counter. that's going to have more success. Whitaker was on the counter and he was having pretty good success, but Adesanya was countering the counter and neither guy was really ta- willing to take the risk to initiate anything big. I talked about how Whitaker should be able to get takedowns, but I didn't think that he could hold Adesanya down. That proved to be accurate in this matchup. I talked about how Tuivasa probably has the edge and speed. Durability is in question. Power is pretty equal, but Tuivasa, his ability to do damage in the clinch is something I spoke about, and it's a big part of his game, man, and it really came through on this one, man. Uh, Tuivasa's game plan was to either be all the way out of punching range or all the way in the clinch where Derek Lewis would have a hard time landing his heavy hands, and man, it was it was simple. It was a good game plan. He is taking his career seriously. He's doing yeah, legitimate yeah, strength and conditioning, and it's showing. He's lovable, yeah, he and he's a big really star, is. and he may he may be a tough. Ma- I actually think he's a tougher matchup for Gon than he is for Nganu. If Nganu sticks around, I think Nganu is a bad matchup for Tuivasa. Um, but I could see him. I could see him. I could see him making a fight with if he if he's got the gas tank for it yeah. over five over five rounds. I could see him. Gon's not going to get him out of there. And um, no, probably not. But Tuivasa being 6'2 with a 75 inch reach, I think he might have a hard time with the size and like the fact that he's facing a really technical opponent who's much te- more technical than him, who's bigger than him, who's got really good footwork. Um, I, I still, you know, I, I as of if, now, I would pick Gon in that matchup. But I, I would probably saying. pick Gon, but it's in, but I would be very interested to see if Tuivasa can implement a dirty boxing game in yeah. that fight. And I could I could see that being really interesting. I could I could see him landing shots like what Steep what what That's Cormier point, landed landed against landed against Stipe in their first yeah. fight. Like the the dirty the the dirty boxing you, people can get can get gone against the cage. Like some interesting stuff can happen. But I really do believe that as as great as Tuivasa is and as exciting as he is right now, 
Mm-hmm. I don't see I don't see a universe where he doesn't eat an Nganu uppercut trying to close the distance. And no 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 one no one survives that. No one survives moving no one survives moving forward like that against Nganu. But I will say uh, th- that's fair. I-, I will say, though, that Tuivasa is extremely fast and hits extremely hard in a way that even Stipe Miocic, who has a more complete experienced game and more of a process to his game, in a way that Stipe Miocic doesn't have. So there's a chance he could clip a man. Tuivasa has that kind it of could, power. He's extremely it, athletic. He's, he's got the power, but I would say that in Ganu's uh, striking technique and his punches, Shouldn't generally really speaking, if it's no, it's, it's not if it's dirty boxing, it's just. There's, it's a straighter line. I just think he finds a straighter line to Tui Vasa's chin before before he lands. But, I mean, intriguing. I don't know if we'll ever see it. And they're certainly not going to wait on Nganu. They've got a star right now. They're not going to wait a year before anyone gets to see Tai sure. Tuivasa again. For sure. There's like, a fair a, chance. They need, that to, they need to make Vasa, stars. Mm-hmm. And that was a money-in-the-bank fight. Absolutely. There's a fair chance that Tai Tuivasa will hold the interim heavyweight title this year. There is a decent chance if they skip over Gon since he's coming off of a loss, if they put him up against, uh, I don't know, let's say Stipe or or I guess possibly John Jones, although John Jones will probably be a, a tough matchup for Tuivasa. I do wonder how John Two Jones words. is going to react to the heavyweight power. Two words, baby. Tom and Aspinall. Oh, yeah, I'm into that. I, I, I have no problem with that. That would be an exciting uh, kind of uh, fight night main event or a co-main event on a big pay-per-view. That's the, uh, that's although- the future. That's a, nec- that's a next generation of heavyweights. I know the big listen. He's coming off of Arlovsky and, and Sergei Spivak. But, like, he's on a, you know, he's fighting Volkov next. So, listen, they're not, you know, where would you where would Volkov have been ranked with respect to Tuivasa like a week ago? You know, after sure. this fight, That's if fair. if if, Asp- if Aspinov uh, spe- defeats Volkov in a big way, you've got mm-hmm. you've got two stars who are shinier than Cyril Gone right now after that fucking wrestle fest that he had put on with Ngannou. You're absolutely right, uh, Nick. For the uh, co- for the third fight down the line. Wait, wait, wait! Can Kenanier. you say that? Just say that one more time. I just I know we're we're running a little bit behind where we're going to be, but I want to hear you say that line just one more time. On this one occasion and almost no others, Nick, you are absolutely right. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> Jared, let me soak uh, it. Let me soak it in. All right, all right. Pretty Madonna. Uh, Jared Cannonier versus Derek Brunson. Yeah, like I think the first round was give or take what we expected, but I think the major variable in this matchup was, and you know, we we've spoken about this before. Takedowns are the most tiring thing that you can do in a mixed martial arts fight, as far as I can tell. Obviously, if you're throwing punches at 100% power, nonstop, you're going to get exhausted quickly as well. But Derek Brunson um, ended up getting how many? Let me see. Um, Quickly, let me look at this matchup on UFC stats here. He ended up going for 13 takedowns, Nick, before I got knocked out. There's no way he was not going to get exhausted at age 37, 38 this late in his career um, against a guy who is just all muscle, all strength, and a guy who's not going to go away and a guy who's not going to be held down. And Derek Brunson just exhausted himself. The amount of effort that it took to land some of those long kind of sloppy-ish Push forward left hands. Uh, he dropped them with a with a right hook. Actually, Jarek uh, Jarek Brunson dropped Cannonier in that first round with a right hook. Had a really good round, decent top position time, two and a half minutes, basically half the round in control. But dude, like he was exhausted going into that second round. Tried for a couple more takedowns, and then Jared Cannonier took care of business. Man, just uh, those elbows on the ground, Nick. They were absolutely horrifying. That was a snatch. That was a snatching, you know, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. Uh, performance by Brunson. He he looked right. He had he had Cannoneer on. The, I thought the fight was going to be over. I thought Derek Brunson was going to the way that round was going. 
I thought Brunson was going to finish him by either TKO or choke, and he ran out of time, and he ran out of gas. He Shane Carwind, and uh, I I get. I mean, I still want to go back and watch the second round to see if if he got clipped with something that took his soul. Well, for sure he got clipped. That was definitely a factor, but he was tired leading into that moment of getting clipped for sure. Um, I will say quickly, when it comes to uh, Cannoneer, he just had that fight with Kevin Gastelum, and to be honest, like he looked really good in the last last part of the fight. He looked good in the last few moments against Robert Whitaker of that third round in their bout. So the guy, you know, against Hermanson, he got taken down once or twice in the first round, second round, he smashed them, right? Like he's made a career uh, more recently, of course, in this, he's now on a five and one run over the last four years. He's made a career of essentially smashing or essentially getting stronger over the course of the fight lately. And that makes a huge difference, man. When you're going up against the guy who's going to try 13 takedowns by the early second round, I mean, that guy better have like Mirab Devashvili level uh, conditioning to keep being able to do that. And if you don't, you're going to be in trouble. Both Kananir and Adesanya, for them, the key was not brilliant takedown defense, but brilliant get the get-up games. They have really effective get-up games, and it's a huge game-changer that Chuck Liddell basically kind of trailblazed many years ago, and yep. it, it worked in this matchup. Let's, uh, and Kananir, quickly... well, I mean, Kananir is such a fascinating guy. I just want to mention that, yes, he did, you know, seven years ago, lose his UFC debut to Sean Jordan at heavyweight, a heavy-hitting mm -hmm. guy who, if I have memory serves, also knocked out Derek Lewis. Um, I think so. But um, you know his other his other four losses that he's had in that in that seven year period, Glover Teixeira, Jan Blahovich, Dominic Reyes, who you could say beat Do uh, John Jones, right? And Robert Whitaker. He's only been he's only been defeated by champions across three weight classes, like true. Pretty you know he's got he's got the stuff, and he's he is the problem is he is as old as Brunson more or less, maybe a little bit younger. He's thirty seven, I think. Right. So the the yes, he's in terrific condition. Um, but the clock is ticking, so it's hey, time. Title shot I'd, next, I'd, right? like, I'd love to see. I'd love timing. to see him fight fight Vittori. I'd love to see Cannoneer Vittori. But I think like let, let's get, you know let's get let's get his. Uh, I don't know if it's red panty night without a sign. Yeah, not it's not like Connor's. So let's get a fuchsia panty night, whatever it is. Um, uh, fair enough. Just real quick, Nick. Uh, I want to talk about last week's overall picks. The ones we disagree agreed on. I think we're AJ Dobson, Jacob Malkoon, uh, Derek Lewis, Taitoi Vasa. But is it? Maxim Grishin versus William Knight, and then Hanato Maikano versus Alexander Hernandez. All of those, uh, all of those worked out for the guys that I chose. Again, made for a rough night for you, and we both have these swings back and forth. Uh, I am at this point four points up over you, sixteen to twelve. Super competitive season thus far. I think I have two event wins. You have one or, or two event wins at this point. We have a couple of draws, so really competitive, Nick. Uh, should we just dive in? Is there anything worth discussing uh, besides these matchups uh, from this last card? Bobby Green, I guess, great performance against Hawk Prof. Yeah, our last year, well, we said goodbye. Good. We said goodbye to Roxy Mataferi, who who wrapped her yes. career in very respectable fashion. She blogged yeah. about it. She felt great about her hands. She never felt like she had landed as hard or landed as much. And she can leave holding her head up. She was um, a multi, you know, through multiple generations of fighters uh, in a 20-year, um, not quite a 20-year career, maybe 17-year career in 50 fights, including mm -hmm. her time on Tough. Um, she improved. Her attitude was awesome. She brought in fans. Just much, much love. Just a, what a great ambassador for a sport deeply in need of them. So, you know, thank you for everything, uh, Roxy. I hope she's going to get married soon. Hope that all goes well. And Casey O'Neill, you know, has to is not ever going to be like that athletic. But she's she's you know, she's tough. She's tenacious and she's still she's still green. 
Um, but I think she's smart. She's not quite as throw caution to the wind as some of those other rookies. And she's in play with those those other women who are either at the same or or close weight classes, like the like the Barbers and the Mavericks. Um, Kyler Phillips looked awesome. We knew that. Carlos Alberg, yeah, that was okay. Uh, Malcoon, Malcooned. Um, and that's, yeah, I mean, I think that's, uh, I mean, Bobby Green earned himself a big chance to uh, step into a main event. Look great again. Fans love him. And I thought Alex Hernandez, Alexander Hernandez was going to get Moicano out of there, but uh, he didn't. And I still, I still don't think Moicano is going anywhere with that chin um, in a division of hard hitters. But um, neither's Alex, neither's Alexander Hernandez. Uh, because no, Hernandez is on the brink of retirement. I think he really had high hopes for himself, and he's realizing that you know the lack of conditioning, the lack of hard, lack of durability. It's it's a tough hoe if you're going to be an MMA fighter and you don't have and you have all those three holes. It's just not going to work out for you, man. Like I think not, he's. I don't know uh, if you can improve any or all of them, but yeah. I think he's on the brink of BKFC. He seems to me like a like someone. If he's not going to change his style, let him go in there and brawl. I hope you're wrong because he sounds like an intelligent guy. He sounds like he could do something with his life outside of MMA or maybe some other aspect of MMA. It would be a shame, man. Like I, I don't want to see an intelligent guy go down that route, but unfortunately he's not, you know, he's not a high-level UFC fighter. He's a guy that can take a win and a loss every other fight in the UFC, which, you know, maybe has some staying power in that way. Just quickly, I, I talked about um, recommended bets on Andre Arlovsky. Uh one, minus 145, pretty good odds. That one came through. I recommended a bet on Jacob Malkoon, minus 105. I think it was a slight underdog uh, who came through. Bobby Green came through against Nazar Hakparas at minus 140. I thought that was a great deal. I also did recommend a bet on Derek Brunson by decision of plus 320. It was headed in that direction. Did not pan out. Uh, and uh, and I think I recommended Andre Morozov in a parlay. So overall, definitely a winning night if you were following my betting recommendations. But uh, but you know a, a couple of a couple of nits there, which which I'm not going to harp on. I I think overall pretty good breakdown night for me. I think I went 12 and two in my overall pick, so I'm happy with this one. At this point, my uh, for this year, my pick percentage is about 69%, which I'm pretty satisfied with. That's you know that's pretty high level. Nikolai, let's take a break. We're going to come back and break down UFC fight night. Walker versus Hill coming up this weekend. Not a bunch of uh, like big name fights, but definitely some matchups worth watching for the entertainment factor. Back on the podcast for the MMA Geeks Draft. As uh, our regular listeners know, we take turns picking fighters on the upcoming card. We tally up the numbers at the end of every year. As of now, I'm only four points, four picks above Nick. Nikolai, it's your first pick this uh, week. Go for it, buddy. All right. Uh, you probably aren't going, aren't expecting this as my first pick, but I'm going to pick. I was so impressed with him in his loss against Mason Jones, and I've been not very high on Gabriel uh, Benitez lately, especially because Onama, David Onama, is who I'm going to pick in this fight, um, was so durable in the Mason Jones fight and just kept coming. And it was on, it was on like a week's, uh, it was on like eight days' notice or something crazy um, coming in against this highly, highly touted prop, uh, prospect um, who's a good wrestler. And uh, Onama was just tough. He didn't he didn't go away, and he and he he threw hands and looked really really good. And I think in a firefight scenario that he's gonna he's gonna be too durable for Benitez to get out of there. And Onama is probably um, I could see him uh, I could see him putting hurting on on Benitez and having kind of a coming out party, uh, you know, or like prospect making performance. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. I talked about David Onama. Uh, I think a lot of people underestimated him against Mason Jones. I talked about how dude's like a live dog. I didn't love that it was so short notice, but I I, I really am a believer in this guy. He has, a, a I think, a boxing record, if I'm not mistaken, outside of maybe a kickboxing experience, but really crafty guy, trains with Glory MMA, a lot of skill, 8-1 now, including that one extremely close Mason Jones loss in his UFC debut on short notice. So I agree with you on the pick. It just seems like Benitez is not as durable as he used to be. He's on the wrong side of, I think he's on the wrong side of 35 at this point. And, or actually he's only 33, but he's looking like a 35, 36 year old out there with that lack of durability where durability used to be a big uh, part of his weapons. His kicks are good, but, and his, his craft is high level, but I, I, I do edge David on less, less confidently than you. Like I wouldn't have made this my first pick, but I definitely hear where you're coming from. Onama is a real prospect and somebody I'm excited to watch. My first pick is going to be the Mario Batista, Jay Perrin matchup. Batista is a wild man, uh, trains in the MMA lab, really dangerous, really aggressive, but not really mature enough for top 10 level opposition yet, but plenty of potential in my opinion. I think he should have his way with Perrin, who's basically just like a grappler and not even a USC level grappler. He also took this fight on a short notice. I, I think all the cards are stacked against him. So I like Mario Batista to pick up a decisive victory here. Yeah, that was going to be my next pick. So good on good on you for that. Nice. Um, I'm going to go with, you know, I think I want underdog points for this. There's a couple, it's, it's a plus 145, I think, across multiple sites, um, which I think we agreed on, but I can't remember. Plus um, 150. <laughs> oh, plus one. God damn it. Um, all right. I'm going to hold, I'm going to hold off on that then. Um, I think that, uh, I think that they're going to continue at flyweight to feed, um, uh, to, to feed prospects to gatekeeper, Jesse Jess. So I'm going to go with uh, Jessica Rose Clark over, over Stephanie Egger. I haven't seen anything from Egger that leads me to believe that she's going to be able to stop a wily veteran. Uh, like Clark, and Clark has been beating fighters uh, pretty consistently at Egger's level. Yeah, I agree with you on the pick. And and this was like fairly up there in my top like five or six uh, on the list. Rose Clark is a pretty good grinder and has the experience to win against opponents where they have like clear-cut weak areas as long as she's not fighting elite competition. Egger is a serious judo player, but her overall MMA game needs a lot of development. I think Clark pressures and grapples her way to a clear decision. She has to stay out of the clinch since Egger's judo is legit and Clark doesn't have great get-up game um, if she does end up on her back. So there is some risk there. I could see her being a 29-28, but uh, I think Jessica Rose Clark uh, should be able to put her overall experience in the UFC and otherwise together. And this one, my next pick is going to be in the Jonathan Pierce-Christian Rodriguez matchup. Rodriguez looked really good on contender series, but missed the 135 pound weight limit. So he didn't get the contract. He's sharp. He's a busy striker with really good takedown defense trains at Rufus sport. Um, Pierce is a pressure grappler and really coming into his own after getting corked by Joe Lazan in his UFC debut. Uh, he's on a two fight win streak against serious prospects like Kai Kamaka and Omar Morales since then, which I, I think he was a decent sized underdog in both of those matchups. I'm wondering how he comes into this as a big favorite since he lost spectacularly as a big favorite against Joe Lozano in his UFC debut. I think Rodriguez can make some noise at 135, but he's 5'7 against a six foot tall Pierce at 145 pounds. On short notice, I think it's a lot to ask for. I hope he equips, uh, quits himself well, but uh, I favor Pierce uh, given the circumstances in this one. Cool. Same. Um, so Stan goes with Pierce there. For my next pick, I'm going to go with Chas Skelly over Mark uh, Stiegel, I think it is. Um, I think that, listen, like, I think Skelly is a good, he's a good grappler and good submission artist. 
And I haven't seen any evidence in Stiegel from in his previous UFC fights that he's going to be able to fend, fend off that kind of uh, veteran who's got a history of snatching necks. Yeah, there's a chance this is Kelly's retirement fight. Uh, good offensive wrestling, good kind of scramble-based submission game. Okay stand-up. He's not very technical, but it can be effective. He lands pretty hard strikes, seems to naturally hit hard. Striegel is short and muscular, but not a very good fighter. He just kind of walks into his opponent's offense, has been submitted with some low-level stuff, has a decent wrestling game, though, and assuming Skelly is about as good as the last time he fought, which I think was at least two years ago, uh, he should be the better almost everywhere in this matchup. It's just hard to be sure, given the lack of you know experience, lack of recent fights for Skelly. Uh, hard to be confident in him, but I do agree with you on the pick. I'm next going to pick up. I think I'm going to take Parker Porter to beat Alan Badeau. Badeau was you faster. Love, you love your Parker Porter. I do, man. That, that, that's my boy. I was going to pick too. him also. Yeah. Um, Badeau was faster. He's more athletic. He hits harder. But he's inexperienced and doesn't have the the kind of put together game overall that Porter does. Basically throws flashy shit in hopes of a KO and then starts to panic if a fight goes deep. Porter's a workhorse, workhorse, right? He's not very fast, doesn't hit very hard, but he has solid cardio, lots of experience. It really pushes the pace, which most heavyweights really can't do. And I guess most heavyweights also have more power than Porter does, so he kind of has to fight that way. Uh, Porter could get clipped with a spinning back elbow or something, but I'll pick him to get through a few dangerous minutes before completely taking over the fight. Cool. Uh, yeah, same pick, as I said. Uh, I'm going to go with the main event here, and I'm going to pick Jamal Hill, Jamal, Jamal Hill uh, to beat Johnny Walker. I think, this is a, I think this is an interesting fight, and we don't know which Johnny Walker is going to show up. Um, but the fact is, I think, I, just, I think Hill is a better and more comfortable boxer. Um, I think he's, I think he's sneakier and more accurate, uh, with his punches. And even if, um, even if Walker waits to counter, I think he'll probably gets him on the, on the counter to the counter. Um, I don't think there's going to be a ton of grappling in this fight. I think the fact that he'll switch his stances a lot, um, is going to make it difficult for Walker, uh, to get set or, or kind of telegraph any of his wild shit. Um, so I think that, uh, I just I think that Walker's just the, is like the sloppier um, fighter. I think he's more likely to gas. I think that uh, I think he's more hittable, and I think his chin. And I think overall he's more compromised. Um, he's certainly got a lot. I think he's got a lot more experience, and he's been around a lot, knowing how much he fought in Brazil before making it to the UFC. Um, you know, he could he could get Hill out of there. The the danger is that Hill sometimes gets over. Uh, he didn't Confident. do it. Uh, he, he didn't do it in the crew fight, but there wasn't like time to. He did a bit in the OSP fight, and he, he wasn't really made to pay for it. Um, but he starts to. He can. He usually has pretty good head position, um, and he doesn't get his chin out too far in front of his body. But sometimes he swings wild, and he does. And that's the sort of thing where if you do that against Johnny Walker, and and Walker and happens to land that you know land that three button combo, um, he could certainly put Hill out. But I think I think Hill's going to be aware of and ready for that, and he's going to be able to to trust his skills. If he just if he just trusts really just like trusts his hands in this fight, um, I just think he I just think he's the I think he's the better, smarter uh, striker. And the the benefits that Walker has over other guys in the division, he's not going to have here. These guys are both uh, they're both tall and lanky with reach. Now, Nick, I'm going to give you a factoid that like you have to promise you won't change your pick if I tell you this. You're going to stick with Jamal Hill, right? Yes. Nick, Johnny Walker trains at SBG Island under John Kavanaugh. Are oh, you sure? Right. Are you sure you're still confident in Jamal Hill? Think about this. I'm confident in, in Jamal Hill. <laughs>
Yeah, so I, I agree with you on the pick, man. It, uh, like you said, there's some risk in that. Johnny Walker could suddenly explode with a flying knee or something, and, and anybody could go down if they take that clean on the chin. Jamal Hill does keep his chin high, but he is a rising prospect who's only losses to kind of prospect killer Paul Craig. He's finished OSP and Jimmy Crute in devastating fashion. So he's proven himself as a kind of top 15 fighter. Uh, he likes to pressure with long, straight punches. Southpaw cross is particularly solid, but that right hook, man, looked really good against Jimmy Crute. He knocked him down the first time he threw it, knocked him out the second time. As much as Walker could score something crazy, I, I got to go with the more durable, more confident fighter with a process to his game, despite the lack of experience uh, on paper. Um it's gonna be shades. Gonna be shades of Tiago Silva, Houston Alexander. I think that's what we're getting. <laughs> uh, I, I would like to. I mean, may, yeah, yeah. I'm just curious. Uh, I, I would like to think that that Hill has like some really high. Like I, I like this kid as a prospect at 205. Oh, Tiago, Tiago Silva was really good at the time. Remember? I mean, yeah, no, that's fair. You're right. He was he was a top level fighter. He smashed Houston Alexander. Man, that was scary. Uh, my next pick is going to be in the Kyle Dawkins Jamie Pickett uh, catchweight matchup. Uh, Pickett's taking this fight on short notice. Dawkins has pretty good hands. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. His wrestling is actually pretty solid against non-elite wrestlers, but he's not very athletic. Pickett is literally the opposite. He doesn't have the complete game or the process to his style, but he's fast. He's athletic when he actually lets his offense go, which doesn't always happen, right? There's a chance that Dawkins walks into a big shot, but I like him to grind this fight uh, for a late finish or a very, very clear decision, especially with, again, yeah, I mean Pickett's on short notice. Yeah, and after what Dawkins did to Kevin Holland, like I don't have a lot of I don't have a lot of doubts. Headbutts are effective, man. If you can get one in here, you're right. It could yeah. be really effective. Even 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 outside of that, he was winning. <laughs> he was winning that fight. I agree. Um, I agree. In a few moments, yeah. Yeah, uh, following the Kevin Buckley, the Kevin Holland train all the way to Joaquin Buckley for my next pick. I'm actually gonna go, um, and it's funny, right? Because Buckley got uh, Buckley head. Wait, hang on. How does it go? Al Hassan head kick KO Dicharico. Right, but Dicharico head kick KO'd Buckley before. Anyway, so it's I like, mean MMA math gives you the answer on who's going to win this. Yeah, yeah. it's very simple. Yeah. But I actually, I actually think upside wise, um, I like Al Hassan more than uh, more than I like Buckley. I think Buckley's had has had problems with guys who don't hit as hard as mm -hmm. Al Hassan does, and it's listen. It could be problematic if if Al Hassan doesn't get it done in the first six or seven minutes of the fight. But right. I think he's I think he's got the boom to get Buckley out of there. Um, so we'll, there's a good chance you're right. As Buckley's like literally running in with his blitzing offense, I could see Al Hassan just planting his feet and throwing like an overhand right left hook, and one of those catches him. Yeah, it's very I think this is sure. I think it's I think this is more than a puncher's chance that Al Hassan. I just I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Al I'm gonna go with Al Hassan here. It might be wrong. He is the underdog, but that's because a lot of people favor you know favor Buckley because of that. That amazing kick uh, knockout he had over Impa Kasanga. Is that who it was? Who he knocked out? Um, uh, um, yeah, th yeah, that was the spinning yeah. heel craziness. Yeah, yeah. but I don't. Okay. But I don't. I I just think that. Um, yeah, I think I think Al Hassan should be too much for him, but we'll see. Yeah, uh, I, I I'm gonna disagree. Not that I have a strong opinion on this one, man. But uh, like I do hear you. If if Al Hassan for the record was plus 150, he was just under that. I probably would have already picked him because I do see this as largely a 50-50 fight. The reason that I'm edging Buckley ever so slightly is because he has more heart. 
he has a stronger will, right? He doesn't have the best chin. That's true. And we've seen, to be fair, Al-Hassan knocked out recently too, but it was by a really heavy hitter. Um, I, I could definitely see him running into a big shot from Al-Hassan. Very, very possible. But just because I think if it goes past a few minutes, um, Buckley's going to have the will. He's going to have the the offensive pressure. He's going to have the cardio advantage. Uh, and, and so for that reason, uh, I would lean toward Buckley because Abdul Rakazak Al-Hassan probably has to finish this in the first six or so minutes to, to win this fight, but easily, easily could go Al-Hassan's way. So I don't blame you for making that pick one bit. Um, and maybe it's worth, you know, uh, I think Al-Hassan by knockout probably, probably will net you about plus 200 odds. Maybe it's worth a throwaway uh, if you have a few extra bucks. Next, I'm going to take uh, in the matchup between Chad and Hellinger versus Jesse Strader. Um, and Hellinger, which I'm not sure if I'm saying right, is experienced he's tough he's got um like pretty good fight iq too right he doesn't put he doesn't put much steam on his offense to kind of mitigate risk he's had trouble against grapplers and doesn't have the best takedown defense but he's scrappy and never gives up straighter's a fun fighter to watch he has serious power mix up the head and body shots he's kind of like uh who's that 125 pounder that um that had to move up to 135 and then went to one fc nick um uh, Hor- Hor- Horiguchi, yeah, Brazil, Brazil, Brazilian guy. Oh, Lineker, Lineker, that's right, John Lineker. Yeah, he kind of reminds me of him. Got thing is that Strader's got cardio for just a few minutes, so if he doesn't smash uh, Chad in the first minutes, you know, he, he he's probably going to be a waste. You know, probably going to be a mismatch after that. So as long as Anhiller and Hiller and Hillinger gets through the first uh, storm, I think he should take over and uh, and and do well. All right, we got two picks left. Uh, I'm going to go with, um, I don't think that we've, uh, you know, post recovering from, uh, what's it called? Uh, Lyme disease. Li- li- yes. Lyme disease. Uh, Jim Miller's looked, looked pretty good. And we've got a contender series, uh, fighter who got the contract and Nicholas Mata coming up against him. But like, I don't know for me, this is just like you throw in, you throw in the kid in there against someone who can probably turn him into a pretzel. Um, I just, I think that Miller is, I think Miller still has enough to beat this level of rookie. Yeah, there's a fair, there, there's a chance. And I think Miller, I think Miller, by the way, passes the plus 150 test. So this would be a two point pick for you. Um, here's the thing. If, if I was, if you did pick the Belbita fight instead of this one, I would have picked Jim Miller because of the point value. I, I think it's a fight that could potentially end in that first round in favor of Miller. Miller's got 39 UFC fights, which is incredible. Since being diagnosed with Lyme disease, isn't able to perform past the first round, though, right? And that's really where it's hard to pick a guy if you're not very confident that he can get somebody out of there within five minutes. It helps that he's very dangerous early. Uh, but a guy that has the durability and the craft to survive the big left hand or the quick submission – is going to do well in the second and third round. On the other hand, on the one hand, Mota is very experienced. On the other hand, he hasn't competed in the UFC, and he's going up against an opponent who's got almost 40 walks to the octagon, right? He's had the craft to get through five um, minutes, I think, to put Miller, like, to, again, take over in that second round. Again, I'm, I'm going to edge toward Mota. He has been starts in the first and second round in all four of his losses, to be fair. So there, there's a, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going with Miller. I'm, I'm going with you here. I definitely see the underdog value. So good pick by you on that one. I expect that this one might just work out for you. But again, Mota is a prospect I'm excited about. He's got that kind of classic shootbox style. Um, good on the counter, good on the front foot. 
kind of a, a, a tactical brawler, I guess I would call him. He's got good Brazilian jiu-jitsu chops, a good get-up game, if not awesome wrestling. But I could see Jim Miller uh, disposing of him early, especially in his UFC debut. Last pick, Nick. I have no choice but to pick from the Diana Belbita Gloria De Paula matchup. Pretty low-level fight for a UFC event, even of this caliber. De Paula is a decent Muay Thai fighter who's very underdeveloped in MMA, but Belbita has slightly more diverse skill set and more UFC experience. So I'll edge her away. So you went with, you went with Belbita? By the yeah, by the slightest slightest of margins, this was literally the last pick on my list, so it, it makes perfect sense. I actually think you you got away that Miller pick is clutch because um you know you didn't have to pick it early right, so you got some of your uh, more confident picks out of the way. And Miller has a fifty percent chance of finishing this fight in the first round. You're gonna get two points for that one if it does work out that way. So it's a really good yeah, pick feel, uh, on your end. I feel okay about I feel okay about my picks uh, for the most part. Some risk here. I mean, you know, we'll see. Al Hassan. I mean, they're, they're always and, and, yeah. Um, right, Al Hassan is, is, of course, one of those risky picks, but I feel like toward the end of our pick list, we always uh, th- there's always that kind of increased risk. Uh, naturally, these are less reliable fights. So next week, Nick, we have UFC Fight Night Mahachev versus Green. That should be that should be exciting enough. Terman versus Serkinov. I mean, again, not an awesome overall card. Armats Aryukan versus Joel Alvarez. I am extremely psyched for Gregory Rodriguez versus Armin Petrosian. I'm not sure who Petrosian is. I hope he's a legit prospect. So there's something to possibly look forward to here. Let me see. Um, Terrence McKinney versus Faraz Ziam is something I'm excited about. Jonathan Martinez, Alejandro Perez will be a fun fight to watch, even though it doesn't have a whole lot at stake there. So, you know, not an awesome card. Um, good names at the top and a, and a couple of matchups that maybe are worth looking at. Ginny Frey against Hannah Goldie is like maybe the two, you know, it's two really attractive strawweights, if I may say so. Nick, I, I don't, I don't look at female fighters based on just their attractiveness. I look at male well, fighters that way. Luke Rockhold, one of my favorites, no particular reason. Uh, he's just very handsome. He's, yeah, the only way he can get people to cheer for him is to come back and fight against Costa. But yeah, yeah this is you're, a, you're not kidding. <laughs> this is a yeah. This this card has a lot of weak sauce on it. <laughs> yeah, it it really even compared to like I would say it has a couple of matchups. Like you could put together a good main card from next week's card that would look maybe a little better than this main card uh, for this weekend's but overall i'd probably prefer this weekend's card maybe it's because i've already researched it and i'm more familiar with all the fighters usually the research process gets me a little more excited about watching an event but it does not look awesome as of now and let me see the pullouts were obviously benil daryush mahmoud moradov uh, was supposed to fight misha serkinov ryan span and kutelaba uh, came off of this card. Rosenstrike versus Tibura was supposed to be on this card. So the UFC does make some effort to put some decent fights together for these shitty fight night cards. It just seems so consistent that it's the good fights that end up getting pulled out of these men. It's a shame. Yeah, what's funny is, and then we got the we got the pay-per-view afterwards, and I'm not at all interested in Covington Mas- Masvidal and probably won't buy this card, but the uh, the undercard um, has lots of amazing stuff on it, like Jalen Turner, James Malarkey, um, uh, Right. Uh, Marina Morose against Maria Agapova. That's interesting to me. Jessica I against men, uh, a real step up in competition for men on Firo. You got Sergey Spivak, Greg Hardy. That won't be boring. Kevin Holland against Cowboy Oliveira. Barbosa versus Bryce Mitchell. That's fun. Definitely. Definitely. Dos, uh, now Dos Anjos versus Fiziev. That's a that's a fun co-main event at five rounds. But I'm just like given $75 for it to watch Covington lay on top of Jorge Masvidal is not that. Ugh, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying the narrative. 
Anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure that it'll be that boring or that simple with Masvidal. It's hard to make for a boring fight, but you know what? Usman did it, so it, it's certainly possible. Yeah, I, I am looking forward to that card. Really does like some of these fights you listed. A couple of others that I'm looking at here looks like a really, really exciting matchup. And they could just like take maybe two of two or three of these fights and just press in between.